Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we? Good. Hey, who here is a sucker for a sale? I know Christmas just ended, right? But we still like sales, right? We still like being able to get something cheaper. We still like to get free things. We all like free things, right? Uh, you can get really good deals on things like food, clothing, and dare I say, fireworks sometimes on sales. In fact, uh, about six or seven years ago, myself, my brother, and a few of our friends uh, decided that we would drive from Cincinnati into Indiana to buy fireworks. You couldn't buy fireworks in Ohio at the time, so we had to drive into Indiana, and they had uh, a sale for suckers like us that was buy one, get one free. And I remember just like salivating at the mouth of all the things that could explode, right? And so we spent way too much money uh, on fireworks, and we drove back home and decided we would put on our own 4th of July spectacular. It was going to be great, right? So we're all excited, and uh, we started doing this all together. Some of us had dabbled with fireworks before. Um, others of us thought we knew what we were doing, but we could definitely put on one great 4th of July show. And early on in our spectacular, we realized that uh, one firework in the air is beautiful, but six or seven at a time, well, that's just like professional level. We've got to try this. And, and so we lined them all up, and, and we would light them, and we knew you're just going to put the, the charge on the bottom, you light the fuse, and you jog away. Simple, right? Well, for some reason, every single time, we had malfunctions. One of the fireworks would, would malfunction, and it wouldn't go shooting into the sky so we could ooh and ah. No, it would blow up the canister on the ground and knock all the other ones down. And then fireworks would come whizzing by our heads and, and into the audience who didn't appreciate that at all, right? And, and so we thought, okay, we've got to do something about this. So we did the responsible thing. We paused the show and figured out, what is our problem? And I remember how frustrated my brother was. And he finally sat everybody down. He said, guys, look, this is how you put a firework in. And he began to demonstrate the proper way to load one of these fireworks into the tubes. Problem was, he was doing it upside down. Yeah, so if you don't know anything about fireworks, they go up and go bang. His were going floop, right, right in the ground. And because of that, it knocked all of the canisters down that came whizzing by our heads and almost uh, caused some serious damage at that time. Uh, what I learned that day is that as beautiful and as fun as fireworks are, it's better for me and especially my brother to sit back and just enjoy somebody else putting on the show because if you are way too distracted in that moment, you could cause some real damage. Uh, last week, Chris kicked off our, our series here in, in Proverbs. We're calling it Let Me Think, and we're going to glean some wisdom from the book of Proverbs to help us understand. Uh, he spent last week helping us understand what, what the Proverbs are uh, and what the Proverbs are, are not. They're not promises, right? They're, they're wisdom sayings that if you do this, then this is not a guarantee, but, but these are principles that for the most part can be true if, if we're living them out inside of our life. And, and we learned about the wisest man the wisest man to ever lived, and why he gathered together this collection of wisdom to, to kind of pass on to his children, to the next generation, and, and so on and so forth. And, and what we're doing as a church, man, is we're encouraging everybody uh, from now until the end of February to read Proverbs a couple of times. There's the 31 books in the book of Proverbs, so if you want to read uh, one a day, if you want to substitute your normal reading time, if you have normal reading time or Netflix time in for the book of Proverbs. You could absolutely do that. There's great studies on version that you could be a, plan, a part of, but you know, we know that creating a habit of reading and studying uh, the Bible is going to allow God to speak more into our life, and that studying Proverbs, and it's going to help us learn how to live well and live 
right. So over this series, man, wisdom is our focus. We wanna know how to live well and how to live right. Live well and live right. So over these next few weeks, uh, we're gonna look at a bunch of different topics that are addressed in uh, the Proverbs. We're gonna look at things of how to live well and right in our finances, in our friendships, in our discipline, and in so many other areas. Today, we're gonna talk about marriage. And I know we've talked about marriage a lot uh, lately here, but we're gonna talk about really just one aspect of marriage today. And that's this idea of commitment. Commitment, it's kind of a foundational principle to, to marriage, and Proverbs has a lot to say about that. So uh, I did some research this week. I wanted to see what studies are out there on commitment in marriage and all of those things, uh, and I found out that there's a bunch of different studies that have taken place over a long, long period of time to find this out, and that when you concluded that when all of these studies are joined together and they, and they kind of crunch the numbers and the data, and I let somebody else do this because numbers don't like me very much, but, but I found out that 15 to 20% of married couples in 15 to 20% of married couples, somebody at some point in time has been unfaithful in their marriage. Now, these studies are self-reported, so it can be a little difficult to get an accurate, uh, completely accurate number, but that's what came, they came up with when they took all of these studies from, from decades of research and crunched them together here. And one of the interesting things to me that they found out was that for couples that are in their 50s to 60 years of age and had been together for 20 to 30 years, they actually had the highest number of unfaithfulness in their marriage. That, that was crazy to me. I would have never, never thought that. And they didn't say whether it was something that happened in the past or something that's current or whatever it may be. Uh, they don't know if it's a generational thing, if it was a time period that maybe they grew up or, or really what it is. But that this demographic is also the most likely to wind up getting a divorce because of unfaithfulness. So why do I share that? What does all of that mean? It simply means this, that unfaithfulness, that adultery has affected a large number of families. It's affected couples who were married, but more than that, and it affects their children. And we know from studies and we know from finding out that, man, it affects the marriage of those children as well. That it is such a big deal when we stop and look at it that there is a ton a ton of print dedicated to Proverbs to discuss marriage and adultery. So, so here's kind of the hard thing, though, when it comes to Proverbs and what we're going to read about, about being wise in your marriage. There's a couple of things that, man, I just feel like we got to address to start here. Uh, first of all, I'm not sure that Solomon, the guy who wrote all of the stuff that we're going to talk about and read about today, uh, he wasn't always wise in his marriage, he wasn't always wise in his marriages, okay? Like, that's how that plays out. I think a lot of what he says comes from experience. I think both his own experience and watching the experience of other people, right? And, and that's kind of how wisdom is foundational at times. And I say all of that because if you don't know, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, Right, which, which is a couple of things. If you don't know what a concubine is, it, it's, a, it's a woman that lived with a man who, who had a lower status than wife, kind of like a mistress. So he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That means he had some rough marriages and an endless honey to-do list, if I had to guess, right? Like all of that going on inside of his life here. And here's the thing. A lot of his marriages were probably political treaties. Like that was kind of how treaties came about at that point in time. And whether they were political or not, it's really not an excuse to have a lack of wisdom inside of your Marriage. We read through the book of Deuteronomy and it encourages and says, hey man, one woman and one woman uh, and one man, sorry, one woman and one man. And Solomon just didn't hold to that. 
He didn't hold to that in his life. But his teachings, the things that he has to say about marriage, the things that he has to say about adultery and faithfulness, man, they still are right. They still are well, and they still are truthful. We can still glean from those. The other thing it's important to recognize is that the stuff that we're going to dig into today, uh, I would say it actually has more than one meaning. Like the principles that Solomon lays out here in the book of Proverbs, in this chapter that we're going to talk about, uh, dealing with, deals with relationships with marriage, but it also deals with our relationship with wisdom. It's this great literary technique where, where the sayings and the principles apply really well in both areas. When Solomon talks about the adulteress, he is both referencing sex outside of, of marriage and the idea of living an unwise lifestyle. And when he says, hey, rejoice in the wife of your youth, man, he means both your actual spouse and the lessons that you learned and the principles you were given when you were younger. They can, and I would argue they both do apply here. So we have to keep that in mind as we read through the Proverbs together this morning. And it's not just talking about marriage, and it's not just an analogy for living wisely. Man, it's this beautiful combination of the two of these things. Uh, so this morning, man, I just want to focus on Proverbs chapter 5 together. If you have uh, the North Point app, pop that open there on your phone uh, where it says this week's talk. You can follow along, fill in the, fill in the blanks. Uh, great questions for uh, life groups later on today or this week or whenever you guys gather together. Uh, but we're going to get Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to read together. We're going to show some context for it. Uh, when we look at uh, who, the, who, who wrote this in the Bible, when we look at why it was written, who it was written into, uh, we study to see hey, what do these things have to say in the Bible uh, in relation to each other. And that's kind of how we provide context. We know uh, from studying that Proverbs 5, this chapter we're going to dive into today, uh, it's actually referred to as the eighth paternal appeal. The eighth paternal appeal. Uh, and what that means is that it is encased in a section of scripture that is written uh, kind of like a father who is speaking about wisdom and, and wise living to give to his son or his kids here. Uh, it has a feeling of wisdom from experience and a life lived that is being passed on from generation to generation uh, to a loved child so that that child can, can escape pitfalls and can escape any kind of danger as well. So that's kind of the background a little bit here. Uh, we're going to start Proverbs chapter 5, first couple verses says this. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And this father starts his appeal off right here by urging his son to pay attention and to listen. Man, if you have kids, that's like half the battle, right? Like half the battle is getting them to follow through on the things you've discussed. The other half of the battle is like, hey, right here, focus up. I'm talking to you. Pay attention, right? And you can hear that just as it gets started here, that he's trying to get them like, hey, focus. I know you're in the teen years. I know that you ignore me, but like, come on, you can do this. Stay with me. You need to know what I'm about to tell you here. Solomon goes on. He gives this example of lips here. He says, lips that have discretion and knowledge, discretion and knowledge. And what he means this, it means knowing what to say and when to say it. Knowing what to say and when to say it. Like, that is a powerful, powerful thing to learn if you've never learned that. Like, it applies in every area of our life. It'll apply in your marriage. It'll apply in your job. It'll apply in your friendships. It'll apply at traffic stops, right? Uh, here, here's the thing. When I was in college, uh, I was driving home. Uh, it was 70-mile-an-hour uh, speed limit. I'm driving back from, in, through Kentucky, and I get pulled over. And the officer comes up, and he, he taps on my window. I roll it down. 
Officer, how can I help you today? Do you know why I pulled you over? Why did you happen to do that, sir? Right, we're, we're kind of doing the whole little dance here a little bit. And he says, well, I got your clock going 81 and a 70. Like I said, knowing what to say and when to say it, I responded with, oh, that's crazy, because I definitely had my cruise control set to 78 miles per hour, which is still speeding. <laughs> yeah, I got a ticket that day, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> I got a ticket that day. So knowing what to say and when to say it can be an absolutely powerful thing. And that's the first thing that this author is, is kind of starting off with. And he, he goes on in verses three through six. He says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow to the path Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And we go from lips that know what to say and when to say it to lips that are appealing but dangerous. <laughs> appealing but dangerous. It's this immediate contrast that is intentionally placed right here to grab our attention, that wisdom is careful with what is said. And when those things are said, but the forbidden woman, and she speaks well, dripped honey, smooth oil. She knows how to get your attention. She knows how to appeal to your senses. But in the end, and it's bitter, it's, it's sharp, and it leads to death. See, I think this, these verses right here, man, this is a summary for everything in this entire chapter here. It looks good, maybe, maybe even better than what you have. Like honey is sweet. Oils were used to smell good. All that's going on here is appealing and new and different and pleasant like never before. But verse six points out that this forbidden woman doesn't ponder the path of her life, but she wanders around and doesn't even realize it. In other words, she has given no thought to the consequences of her actions here. Living in the moment and doing what feels good or seems good in the moment. And pleasure is the goal and not a thought given to what that pleasure may cost. It's the ultimate unwise way to live our lives. Like think about that for a second. You wouldn't do anything else in your life without stopping and analyzing the cost, right? You buy a car, you mortgage your home, you take a vacation. Before you do any of that, man, if you were to ignore the cost, you accrue a debt, that's just gonna cripple you. It's gonna hurt you in every way. Like at some point in time, the new car smell is gone. You begin to wonder, man, was the carpet always this ugly in our house? Or that you recognize, man, it is a lot more fun laying on the beach than paying for the beach. Living like cost doesn't exist, man. It leaves you with a debt that you can just never ever pay off. And that is never more true than when it comes to stepping outside of your marriage. The author continues on in verse seven. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers Take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. 
And in verse 7, here Solomon is reiterating the need to pay attention to what he's saying, which is like such a parent thing to do. Such a parent thing to do, right? To stop in the middle of your talk and to make sure your kids are paying attention. Hey, hey, eyes on me. Are you listening? Stop wandering. Grab your kid's head. Woo, right here, right? Don't miss this, Johnny. Don't miss this. I've got a three-year-old. Whenever she does anything wrong, we get one of these throughout our conversations. And I recognize I've got like another 15 years of that ahead of me, right? But we do as parents, we're like, hey, no, no, don't miss this. Like, I actually know what I'm talking about. You will get to your late 20s and understand that. But right now, just, just get the lessons. Just listen to me right now. What I'm telling you is important. And the advice that Solomon says is important. What he's trying to give here to deal with temptation in verse 8 is simply this. Flee. Flee. Don't even get close to it. Don't knock on the door. Don't go play in ding-dong ditch with your temptations or your struggles. Don't, don't begin to ask questions like, man, I mean, what, at what point is it wrong? Don't flirt around at work. Don't excuse it as harmless. It doesn't matter if that person is a good listener. It doesn't matter if, if they just get you in ways that like nobody else does. It doesn't matter because what it's going to get you is a whole lot of pain. Verses 9 through 10, they tell us to run away because you know what? It is going to absolutely destroy you. It will destroy you. You will lose your reputation. You will spend several years of your life desperately trying to recover the things that you've lost. It will exhaust you physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially, and it will take away all that you've built with your family and friends, and so much more. So Solomon says, flee, flee. It's not harmless flirting, it's not this. It's temptation, it will destroy you, flee. See, one of my all-time favorite news stories uh, came about a panda bear in 2008. Everybody loves panda bears, right? Pandas, I mean, look at that, come on. Adorable, right? Everybody loves a panda. Check out this story. This was reported by Reuters out of Beijing in 2008. It said a panda at a zoo in southern China attacked a student who snuck into its pen hoping for a cuddle with the endangered bear, state media said Saturday. The 20-year-old male student surnamed Lu jumped over the fence at the zoo in the tourist city of Guilin, ignoring warning signs not to. The panda named Yang Yang was wide awake. Apparently scared by the intruder, he bit at Lou's arm and legs. It quoted an unnamed worker as they tried to manage and calm the bear and rescue Lou. Yang Yang was so cute, and I just wanted to cuddle him, Lou quoted as saying from his hospital bed. I didn't expect he would attack. You hear that? My guy jumps into the panda bear exhibit because they were cute and cuddly. And forgot for a second that they was still a bear, right? Everybody who ever says things to me, like, oh, man, it's just harmless flirting. Oh, no, he's just my work husband. That girl's just easier to talk to. Like, every single one of them, I want to grab him by the head and shake him like crazy and tell them, don't cuddle the panda, okay? I know it's cute. I know it looks fun. It will eat you alive, <laughs> You are doing something incredibly dangerous right now. 
This is not what you want to be able to do. That's why they put barriers up at the zoo to keep you away from the cute, cuddly animals, because they will hurt you. It's why you've got to put barriers up in your life to keep you away from things that will eat you and hurt you and bring you down. Because if you start doing this, man, it is going to attack you before you ever realize it. Solomon continues on in verse 11. He says this, he says, and at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And I've had way too many conversations with people that sounded just like that, full of despair, shame for the pain that they have caused on other people, worried that their life will never be the same again, constant regret because you know what? They knew better. Sin does that. Every single time. We've all seen somebody that we know, somebody that we cared about and love and have their marriage fall apart because before they knew it, they were stepping outside of the bounds of that union. And they cause so much pain to somebody that they care so much about. Little ones that they cared so much about. We've seen this level of regret. We've seen this mixture of pain and anger and shock and betrayal in the eyes of a spouse or a child. Regret is a heavy burden to bear. That's why Solomon writes this here. Solomon was actually the second child of an adulterous relationship. His mother was Bathsheba and his father was King David. And Bathsheba was married to one of David's guys, one of his mighty warriors, one of his friends. And yet David and Bathsheba slept together. And when she was found out to be pregnant, David essentially had her husband killed, had his friend killed killed and married Bathsheba to try and cover the whole thing up. They lost that child soon after its birth. Solomon comes in a little bit later on. That history, that story, and that had an effect on David and Bathsheba and even on Solomon. Solomon writes all of this in Proverbs, having heard the stories, having seen firsthand the regret from his mother and his father. And here's the sad part is Solomon himself, and he continues this bad tradition of poor relationship choices. 700 wives, 300 mistresses. And like all of the sex, all of the attention, all the listening ears he could ever have or ever want, and yet it was never enough. And God created one man and one woman to be together. And if you search for something else outside of that, man, you will look endlessly until you find yourself full of the same regret that causes you to groan and be consumed inside. Flee. Flee from that. Here's what you can do, man. Instead, choose to change your focus. Solomon wrote this in verse 15. He says, and drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own 
well? Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and the and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. And I love this, because Solomon starts off this portion here, this section of scripture, with ownership. He says, your own cistern and your own well. In other words, he's saying, look, stick to what is yours. Stick to what is yours. He's talking about marriage. He says, don't get lost trying to quench a thirst somewhere else that can only be refreshed by the waters that you have at home. Keep it at home, not in the streets, In other words, what you have is for you and your spouse. It's no extras added to this, right? No throuples coming into this relationship. You don't split the bill three ways. You only eat dinner at home here. It's a family dinner. He goes on in verse 16 through 20, and Solomon encourages us to enjoy, enjoy being with one another intimately, sexually, relationally. You share something with your spouse nobody else ever gets. You share something with your spouse that nobody else ever gets. He uses words like blessed, rejoice, delight, and intoxicated. And our culture does not paint that image of marriage at all. Look, marriage is hard, but but our culture wants to say that, man, marriage is a chore. It's laboring. It's arguing. It's neglectful. And yes, it is hard at times, right? Like, we all know that. We all recognize that. Not every moment is roses and sunshine, right? Husband doesn't bring home flowers every day, right? Like, that doesn't happen. But according to the wisest man on earth, the guy who has lived it all, tried it all, and had it all, what you get in marriage is so much better than anything else that you can find outside of it. It can indeed be blessed, rejoicing, delightful, and intoxicating. But that only happens when the focus is on one another. That only happens when you're investing between you and your spouse. And we're kicking off a series or a study here. We've done a little bit in the past. We've got more coming up in February and March called Funner Marriage. Uh, Chris and Emily Carter do this phenomenal job of helping us figure out and understand what it means to have a relationship with our spouse that is blessed and rejoicing, delightful and intoxicating. If you want that in your marriage, man, check that out. It's on the app. It's on the website. That's something that could be worth it. See, the best idea that Solomon gives in Proverbs chapter five for us is to flee from temptation or sin. Like, like, hear me clearly this morning. If you are considering stepping outside of your marriage, stop. Stop. If you are, are currently in a relationship with somebody outside of your marriage, stop. Stop. Run from the wrong relationship. It will end badly. There will be pain. There will be death. There will be hurting as a result to this. Death to a marriage. Death to a relationship with your kids. Death to a friendship death to your character. Some of you guys are listening this morning and and you've experienced this pain before. Pain of unfaithfulness has been a part of your life. It's affected your life in real and painful ways, whether it was a poor decision that you made or a poor decision that somebody else made that just affected you, that hurt you. 
Know this, Jesus cares. Jesus still cares. One of the most beautiful things about Jesus is that he is a God that is all about redemption. That sin is gonna leave us lying alone and dead, but Jesus meets us in our pain and in our shame, and he lifts us back up out of those things. He offers redemption. He offers reconciliation. Like the pain caused by unfaithfulness is real, and it doesn't leave. Sin is always painful, and but Jesus offers the ability to heal. Maybe heal a broken relationship. Maybe heal a marriage. Maybe heal our character. Maybe just heal some wounds. He can do it. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything will indeed all be fixed and it'll be back to, to roses every day. But healing is available because whatever may be going on in your life, Jesus isn't done moving in your life. So if you want that, man, if you want healing and reconciliation and you, you want freedom from the things that have, that have trapped you, man, start by asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness from God because, look, all, all sin is first and foremost against him. Everything we do wrong is against God to begin with. So ask forgiveness from God, but ask forgiveness from those that you hurt, those that you've wronged, those that have, have felt the effects of your betrayal. And then after you've done that, man, run away from the traps of adultery and unfaithfulness. Put up healthy boundaries. Eat lunch alone if you have to. Get completely off social media. Throw your phone into Lake Michigan. I do not care. Put up healthy boundaries so that you do not get trapped again and again. And in return, man, lean on God and others to help you escape so you can start again. Look, fireworks can be beautiful. They can be so much fun. But if you are distracted by other things and not paying attention to what you're doing. You load that thing upside down. You can cause a lot of pain. You can cause a lot of destruction. And that 4th of July, I enjoyed seeing fireworks explode in the air a whole lot more than exploding by my head. I can promise you that. It would have been absolutely stupid for us to just keep trying to set off fireworks without ever solving the problem of why they weren't working right in the first place. And if you've been distracted in your marriage, know it's dangerous and it can hurt a lot more people than just yourself. Stop lighting the fuse. Fix the problem. Your marriage can be beautiful and fun when you handle things the right way. You just gotta invest in your husband or your wife flee from everything else. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the way that you created marriage. God, we thank you, Lord, that you looked one day and you said, man, it was not good for man to be alone. And so you put man and woman together. You, you placed it, Father, for us to have this beautiful relationship, God. And God, we mess up all the time. And God, we just pray, Father, that, that whoever needs it, whatever may be out there, God, if it's loved ones in our life, whether we've been affected by it, whether we know somebody else who's making poor decisions, God, 
Father, help us to flee, to not play with fire and to not mess with things that we shouldn't mess with, God, but to recognize that man, your way is better, that there is wisdom in living well and right. Help us to heed these words of Solomon, Father, and to trust that you truly know what's best. We love you, Jesus.